Would you open up to uh, Luke 19? Triumphal entry. Today is uh, Palm Sunday. I've spoken on this text uh, probably three out of the last five years, four of the last five years, and I was going to do something different, but as I went over it, I said, you know, I can't, because the sermon and the text is so relative to what we go through as Christians, especially around the holiday seasons. And so we're going to see some principles that really haven't changed in over 2,000 years and uh, see where our life is in the text. Where is your life? Where's your life of faith in this text today? Where does it find us today? Starting in verse 28. Are we there? Almost. Yay. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples saying, Go into the village in front of you where you are entering and you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why are you untying it, you shall say, The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he has told them. And as they were untying the colt, the Jonah said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, he spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near, already, the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they have seen, saying, Blessed is he, the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And when he drew near to the, and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Let's pray. Father, help us understand the... the strength of this text. Help us to understand the power, the severity, the grace, the reality of it, Father God. Let us just see how incredible you are that on the day of our visitation, by your grace, we did not miss it. Thank you, Father God, for opening up our hearts to see the beauty of the crucified one. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Historically, we know today as not just Palm Sunday, but the triumphal entry. It's a week before Christ is going to be crucified. He is entering into uh, Jerusalem. A lot of fanfare is going on. It's, it's a day of mixed emotions. Please let me tell you that now. When Jesus came riding on that colt that day, riding into Jerusalem, that city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to or from God, It's a day of high, mixed emotion. A day that offered so much for so many. 
but only a few really noticed it. Only a few. There was genuine praise to God. There was genuine faith in Jesus as the Messiah, as they understood him at that point. He's young in his ministry. They don't really understand all the implications of this Jesus character that's raising the dead. It's a time of prophetic expectation, a time of prophetic fulfillment. We're going from the Old Testament promise to New Testament fulfillment. It's really a time of great hope for this nation, of great praise. But most unfortunately, it's also a time of genuine unbelief and rejection. And most of all, of missed opportunity. We, we, we missed that. I don't want you, I'm going to try to highlight it today the best I can. That they missed the day of their visitation. When someone misses the day of their visitation, for eternity, they will know they have the opportunity to be saved. Don't ever miss that for a second. Please, if you can hear me, don't ever think of how perfect you were this week. I'm not going to point you today to how great of a Christian you are or you think you are. I'm going to point you to how awesome God is. You are saved. And you, it will take all of eternity to find out just how magnificent it is to be born again and to be saved. Even if you feel like you're missing it and you're saying, Brian, I, just, I don't think I'm living up to it. I'm struggling. Please hear me. Hear me loud. God wants you leaving today knowing that you are born again. And God has a plan for you that stretches through eternity. Let's never forget that we are generally forgiven of all our sins. That Christ went to the cross. This is a time of missed opportunity. You know, some holidays do this. Aren't holidays emotional roller coaster sometimes? It's more Christmas than it is uh, uh, Palm Sunday or Good Friday and, and Easter. You know, Thanksgiving's always a nice time, but Christmas can be like that. You know what I mean? It could be a real bummer sometimes. You know, you're expecting so much, but really it's unfulfillment. And religious holidays do that. You're trying to get something. I remember as a child, you know, I was like trying to get something to go into midnight mass bombed. That's a nice way to go. I was like, I'm going to make mass better by getting bombed. But that's what we do. We're trying to get something out of a religious holiday. The only thing you can get out of a religious holiday is if it points you to Christ in the day of visitation. Otherwise, there's nothing to it. That's why some people, they don't understand born-again Christians. They don't understand people of the word. We don't really get too excited around the holidays. I really don't. It's Palm Sunday. I had to be reminded by a non-believer that this Sunday was Palm Sunday. Because I don't know what's going on in the calendar. Is it April? Is it the end of March? I don't know. And he's like, you're a pastor. You don't know. I was like... I laughed and I giggled and I said, well, praise God, I'm glad I don't know because every day is Christmas, every day is Good Friday, every day is Easter. I can't differentiate between. I'm constantly living in the glory of Christ's death and resurrection. Amen? Amen. So, be nice to me. (laughs) But holidays can do this. Holidays can really be a time of genuine rejection and unbelief and, and time for genuine praise. Israel... The nation has been waiting five centuries for her Messiah. And they waited and they waited. And what happens when you wait a long time? You ever wait for something a long time? 
and it's right there. And you think if I just help a little bit, it'll come a little quicker. That's what they're doing. The Messiah is here. And they'll say, all right, the king's here. He's going to save us from Roman rule now. Let's, let's expedite it. Maybe God doesn't know. We've been waiting five centuries over here. Let's expedite this thing. Let's get the, the robes out there. Let's get the donkey going. And, and let's hail him as king. Little did they know there was a little bit of soul work that needed to be done. It wasn't time for a king. It was a time for a savior. But they didn't understand that. And let's be careful with that. Because sometimes we can expect too much out of God. Where what we really need is something that is not what we want. They wanted a king, but they needed a savior. Let's be careful when we're waiting. The true king is what they're waiting for. The king who would usher in his kingdom of peace and righteousness, as the prophets of the Old Testament said, who would break the yoke of oppression, in this case of Roman rule, and turn her mourning into laughter and her sorrow into joy. Enough is enough. Israel is not supposed to be the tail. It is supposed to be what? The head. Israel is not supposed to just get by with Rome and other nations. Israel was supposed to be the nation. Make no mistake about it. Israel was supposed to be the leading nation. Not just a nation with all the other nations and having a little peace with everybody. And, you know, it's just, it's all having a good time. No. Israel was supposed to be the nation to lead every other nation. And of course, it looks like he's come. He's raising the dead. He's preaching in ways no one's ever heard before. He's rebuking the religious leaders. Surely he has to be, and of course he was, but it wasn't a time for his kingdom yet. He's here to save. But she didn't recognize these things that make for peace. Because she wanted something else. And I'm going to interject as I go along with some application, because we really do have to be careful. You and I have to be careful all the time to be waiting for God to do something when the obvious is right in front of us. The obvious for this nation is that they needed forgiveness. They needed to come back wholeheartedly to the Lord. The story we're going to see tonight is one that's been happening to some degree every, ever since. And every Christian service has these kind of dynamics. There are those whose hearts are overwhelmed by God's grace in Christ. Prayerfully today, when people, when we're worshiping, your hearts were really touched by the Lord. I was. You know why? Because I need Him. Guess what? I'm not all together yet. I know that's hard for you to believe. But I need more God's grace. I need God's comfort and assurance in my heart. I need His strength. I need His promises. I need His hope. I'm, I'm still human. I'm still frail. I'm still part of this earth. And, and I need more God today than ever before. When we worship, I genuinely was overwhelmed that He genuinely still loves me unconditionally. I need to hear that. I need to be reminded of that. In this crowd... That day, Jesus was coming in, there were people who were genuinely praising God for Christ. There were others in the crowd who were fickle in faith. They were shouting praise. They got caught up in the mass hysteria. 
There's always people caught up in the mass hysteria. They were there, they were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna. But a week later, these same people would be saying, crucify him. It's the same people. So whatever the masses go, they're in. There were others who just followed the crowd. There's always people who just follow the crowd. In this case, it was a religious crowd. They were in the crowd. There was praise. There was worship. But they had no true faith of their own. They come in hope of not personal salvation and personal forgiveness. They want to see something. A religious curiosity blended into the crowd. No true commitment to God. No true commitment to his word. No true faith. They were observers. They're looking for miracles. This is the miracle worker. And here he comes. And there's Lazarus. He raised him from the dead. And there's Zacchaeus. And, and, and there's the leper. And there's the blind man. And let's, let's see something, Jesus. Doesn't Paul say the Jews ask for signs? The Jews love signs. Show me something. Show me something I can believe in. I don't want to hear an old story in a rugged cross. I need a new miracle in my life, God. They're still with us today. People are still looking for another miracle. The cross is meaningless to some Christians. It's hard to believe, right? They want God to do a new miracle, a new touch of grace, and he'll do that if you need that. But I'm going to tell you what we all need. We need to get a deeper reverence for the cross of Christ. It's what you need. That's what I need. That's what we need all the time because that's what changes us. If the cross doesn't change us, nothing will. It's the cross that changes us. It's an understanding of the cross. So we have this crew, we have this crowd, this fickle faith, this genuine faith, there's the novelty, looking for the miracles. Then there are true converts who love Christ. But when they stand before the hostile crowds, like the disciples, guess what they do? The fear of man takes over. And just like the disciples, they cowardly, Drift away. Peter ran away. The disciples left him. And then there's other disciples that just need more strength. So we get this crowd. And represented in this crowd are all different people. All different types of faith. All different types of discipleship. And when I'm preaching or I'm preparing a sermon, I have this all taken in. Where is everybody in their life of faith? And I'm going to challenge you. Where are you today? Where are you? In your life of faith. Where am I in my life of faith? Am I the true convert who's crying, Hosanna, Hosanna? That there's peace with men because God sent Christ. That now I genuinely have peace with God. Is that my highest hope? Is that my highest blessing? If it is, guess what? You don't need anything from God anymore. Nothing. The greatest beatitude is that your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And guess what? America needs to know it. The American church needs to know there is no greater blessing than eternal life. The greatest gift you can have to leave here today is say, you know something? I've got everything I need in Jesus Christ. I need nothing. That's a prayer when God might start moving more highly on your life. When you can say, God, I need nothing. I need nothing. I've got it all. 
the context of what's taking place here is that Jesus has been preaching and performing miracles for nearly three years. Many believed him. Most did not believe him. The religious leaders have always been a hindrance to his ministry over three years. Always challenging him. Always questioning him. Questioning his authority. Putting doubts in people's minds. Telling people that the power he has is the power of Satan to cast out Satan. Now, according to the prophecy of Zechariah, he's coming into Jerusalem riding humbly on a donkey's fold. Please do not miss this. This is the last prophecy they will ever hear again. This is the calling card. To miss this is to miss the day of your visitation. This humble thing of the cult and just going through this formalities, there's no formality. This is how God does things. And when he comes riding in and the crowd is shouting Hosanna, that's God's calling card saying, Israel, this is your final visitation. Do not miss it. Don't miss it. Make no mistake about it. He's saying to them all, I am your king, your humble king, the king of glory. Acknowledge the scriptures. Acknowledge Zechariah. Acknowledge what's taking place here. You will get no other chance after this week. From this moment on, they'll have to rely on the preaching of the gospel to get saved. Of which God, in his great mercy and patience and forbearance with them, sent out the apostles under their signs and wonders and preached the gospel. And a lot of these people end up getting saved because of God's good. Amen? But as far as a nation, it's done. In 40 years, it's going to be raised to the ground. There's no turning back. This is the last chance for these leaders to acknowledge him as king. To rejoice greatly, O daughters of Zion, of Jerusalem, behold, your king is coming. This is his last week with them, and they do not know it. They have no idea that he has a destiny with the cross. Even before they put it into Pilate's heart to crucify him, he already was there. Already willing to go and suffer death at the hands of the elders and the religious leaders, yea, and even go to a cross. This crowd, it's the whole crowd, is welcoming him into the city, and they think they're receiving him as the humble king. Later they're going to drive him out to Calvary, just as another criminal. To really understand how fickle the Jewish nation was, we cannot miss that. But understand something about the Jewish nation. They're only a microcosm of the human heart. Don't make a mistake about it. Don't think that you're safe because you're a Christian. God has to work a lot of inconsistencies out of us. A lot of yes, yes, but our actions are no, no. 
God has to do a deep work always in all of us. He's coming into Jerusalem at the Passover, the city that kills those sent to her to offer himself as the final Paschal lamb. They look for a crown in this crowd, and all he's going to get is a cross. Behold, the end of all sacrifices is near, and the beginning of a fresh new work of God. As Isaiah says, if I was to tell you, you would not believe it. The transition that's taken place here. You know, as I preach and I study and I teach, and, and you try to bring out the nuances of what's taken place so that as 21st century believers, we can never lose the awe of the New Testament. The absolute, sheer, magnificent awestruckness of God's plan of redemption. Because if we don't, if we do, don't see it, we'll just, somehow we deserve it. We deserve nothing. You got hope today? You don't deserve it. You got any peace in your heart today? You don't deserve it. You got forgiveness and you know it? You don't deserve it. You got strength? You got self-control in your life? You don't deserve it. You got joy, peace, happiness? You don't deserve it and neither do I. It's a gift of God's grace in Jesus Christ. You got a picture the geographical circumstance. Jerusalem is set on a hill. It's a city on a hill. Jesus is coming from another direction, from a town on a hill. And to get to Jerusalem, he has to go down this big slope. He's leaving Bethany. Lazarus' is hometown. And he's leaving... And there's a crowd following him. And Lazarus is there. And all the miracles are there. And a man named Zacchaeus is there. He, he was the tax collector who just got converted in, in the passage before the one I read tonight. And, and they're all coming. And, and they're screaming. And hallelujah. And hosanna. Here he comes. The crowd is coming. Then the crowd is coming out of Jerusalem. They're coming to meet him. It's incredible. What a procession. They're singing the Messianic Psalms. We sing it today. Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory to God in the highest. This is Israel's time of visitation. Their hearts are overwhelmed with the possibility of what could be taking place. You can sense the sheer joy. Understand something. The greatest religious holidays ever were under the old Jewish dispensation. They worshipped God, man. They really worshipped God. Jerusalem at this time would have been filled and swollen with two to three million Jews from all around the Mediterranean world. When they threw a party, guess what? They knew how their festivals lasted a whole week. They would get there a week before. They would worship God for a week. And then they would dissipate for another week. They would leave. This is huge. They're singing. They're praising. They're worshiping. 
Here comes this prophet. Some of them heard about. Some of them seen him. This could this be the one? Could this be the son of David? Surely this is the king of Israel. For no man has ever done anything as this man has done. He has to be the Messiah. So I ask, what's wrong with the picture? Why didn't someone say, Jesus, why are you weeping? Look at the crowds. They're they're crying out to you. There's nothing you can't do. You have them in the palm of your hand. Why are you crying for? You see, from our perspective, guess what? Everything's perfect. But Jesus sees the heart. That's the problem. If you were there, you would have been like, no, don't, don't weep, Jesus. That's what's wrong with the picture. Verse 41 says, And when Jesus drew near, and he saw the city rejoicing, when Jesus drew near, and he saw the city singing, when Jesus drew near, and he saw the people worshiping him and crying out to him, he wept. There are many lessons about life of faith that we can learn here. Jesus sees the real heart of the matter. Behind so much praise is so much unbelief. It's easy to praise and have no obedience. Do you know when you obey God, you'll laugh? Guess what else you'll do? You'll cry. Life of faith is hard. Not always easy. Following Christ and picking up a cross is not easy. There are times of genuine heartfelt, heartbreaking agony that takes place. Not just for our own sin, but for the world we live in. The empty praise. Today, people are going to church and they got palms and they're making festivities and they're making big meals, but Jesus is, you know what Jesus is still doing? He's still weeping. Nothing's changed. The human heart hasn't changed. Many people like to get on the bandwagon of praise and religious holidays, but they're not true converts. You're not going to pull anything over on God. God's here and dying on the cross, not for the praise of men, but for the gratitude of sinners. He doesn't want the praise of men. He doesn't crave that. But oh, how he can hear, Lord, Forgive me the sinner. Who's that? Who's that? Who's that in the crowd who's trying to touch the hem of my garment? Who's that in the crowd who's crying out forgiveness? Who's that in the crowd who really knows they need to be forgiven? That's who Jesus is. Not the fanfare. Not the high praise. It's a broken spirit and a contrite heart God will never deny. God can never forget about it. God will always hear it. That's the genuine praise that Psalm 51, that's what David says. The blood of bull and goats can never satisfy you, but a broken spirit and a contrite heart, you will never deny. 
from people's view, all is good, right? But from Jesus' view, it's not all that great. We see the heart of God here. This is the, the dichotomy we see in Ezekiel. Where he says, therefore, I will judge you, O house of Israel. Everyone according to his ways, says the Lord God. Repent and turn from your transgressions. Least iniquity be your ruin. Cast away from you all your transgressions which you have committed against me. And get yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in death of anyone, says the Lord God. So turn and live. Jesus weeps for unbelieving Israel. He does not delight in death. I don't want you to miss the divine and the human taking place here. I don't want you to miss this. This wasn't a passive tear. This wasn't Jesus with a passive tear. He's bawling. His eyeballs out. He's weeping hysterically. He doesn't delight in death. This is their day of visitation. And they're treating him like a common criminal. These loud groanings. He's looking down at the whole of Jerusalem that lays before him. He sees the fate. He sees the pain. He sees the consequences of their rejection. And at this time, he predicts the fall of Jerusalem, which 40 years later would happen under the general Titus. And if you read history, it was brutal. Over a million Jews were slain, starving to death, cannibalism. It was brutal. Jesus predicted it. This scenario was played out in every Christian service since then. Did you know that? I hope so. If you didn't, you know it now. Every service should be an opportunity. You ready? A visitation from God. When someone comes and hears about the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's a visitation of God. For salvation and mercy. Every Christian service. Whether it's the music we're singing, the preaching, the text, the exhortation, the fellowship... It's all God reaching out saying, be reconciled to me. The message of salvation, the message of eternal hope, along with certain judgment. Judgment should be either implicit or explicit in just about every sermon. We can never shy away. Jesus doesn't shy away. He calls it as it is. This whole city will be laid to siege, even your children. Those are strong words. Strong words from a man who has no army. Strong words from a man who has no sword. Strong words from a man who's got 12 disciples 
One's the son of perdition, and the other 11 I'm going to abandon. Strong words. But yet he looked at them, and he called it what it was. As the gospel is explained through teaching and preaching, even the songs we do in worship, they have this dynamic. Religion isn't all happy. Sometimes as a Christian, the message makes me sing and shout for joy. And other times, whether I'm studying the text and listening to a sermon, I've got to hide my head in shame because of the sin in my own heart. There's a principle of decision or judgment in this regard in the text. Judgment is not a pleasant subject. This text teaches us how do we approach it. Understand something. Jesus is telling Jerusalem. He's got friends there. He's got family there. These are his people. He came to his own, and his own rejected him. He sees what's going to happen. He knows what's going to happen to their soul. Their soul is lost forever. It's not a pleasant subject. A growing Christian should be sensitive to the lost and confused people around them. We don't run around saying, oh, you're going to hell if you don't believe. Turn or burn or or something stupid like that. You ever, as Christians, if we ever, and we should, when we speak about the judgment of God in eternal hell, should be doing it with tears on our eyes. You can't muscle up tears. You know when tears come? When you love God, you will love other people. If the tears aren't there, you have to ask yourself, what's missing in my life of faith? What's missing? If I'm not loving people, that doesn't mean I walk around all the time feeling the pain of someone else's misery. I don't. But when I give it time in prayer and meditation, and I prepare for preaching like this, and there are times throughout the year I will be brought to tears over the unbelief of my friends and my family and my neighbors and there's nothing I can do. I pray and I tell them. And if they keep on rejecting, then one day I tell them, you might not get another chance. This is their day of visitation. The book of Hebrews says this, when you hear his voice, Do not harden your heart. Don't think as Christians that everybody has a last minute conversion. You can only get saved when the Holy Spirit is convicting you of salvation and grace. When the Holy Spirit is convicting somebody, he's not convicting only of sin and judgment, but also of mercy and salvation. He does both. This is a really strong concept that a lot of Christians don't understand. 
as we grow as Christians, we become more sensitive to the lost and confused as we go in Christ. Because we know the things that make for peace. Jesus knew the things that made for peace. You and I know the things that make for peace. Paul says it. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have a simple message that leads to faith. That leads to peace. Our theology and our lives should be married to one another. We are ambassadors of Christ. I've seen too many people yelling at others to get saved or God's going to get them. There's the get them crowd that's out there. They are so detached from the love of God. Forget it. They can speak about the love of God, but they're detached from the love of God. Because if you really know the love of God, you'll tell someone of a pending judgment when it's necessary, but it, it will not be pleasing to you. It was not pleasing to Christ to weep over Jerusalem knowing what was going to happen to them. It was not pleasing to him at all. That's why he was weeping with loud wailing. Because he knew what was going to happen and it wasn't delightful for him. Because as God told us to Ezekiel, I do not delight in the dying of anybody. (coughs) The reality of certain judgments should bring us to a very real compassion for other people. You know, I think a lot of Christians fail in that. You can't muscle up compassion. You can't try to say, you'll, you'll hear this sermon and say, you know, Pastor, you know, I don't feel that. Yeah, that. That's understandable. I don't feel it all the time either. This is a genuine byproduct of getting close to God. When you get close to God, you'll feel the pain that God has for the lost. You will. Not just your own loving ones. Oh, my little one and my little... No, 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 no. You'll start to love and care for people that don't like you. I've seen this growing in my own life lately. As I see myself getting older. And what's really important in life. And I see people with hardened criminals and just hard hearts towards God. And I can sit there and, and I can care for them. And not take them personal. And I use this word a lot, but some people are in the last chapter of the last paragraph of the last sentence of their life. They don't understand that this could be their last visitation from God. Pastor John on several occasions as sheriff in the pulpit and of course with me over the years of being there with people who have accepted Christ late in their life after a total rejection of the gospel, a rejection of him and but yet he was faithful to the, the cause and he concerned for it and at the end of their life he was fortunate and blessed enough to watch someone come to faith. And he shared this, his father was one of them and a couple other relatives. We never give up. And like Christ, please, we should not soften the blow of this reality. It's real. And just as his prediction of Jerusalem, the fall of Jerusalem came to pass, please understand something. Those who cry for other salvation have the right to speak of a certain judgment to come. There is a certain urgency. There is a certain power that comes through when you really love God. And then all of a sudden you start to love other people. And when you start to speak about salvation and you start to speak about a pending judgment, please understand something. It is real. It is very real. 
And that's when we do it from right motives. We have a lot to learn, don't we? Yes. What's going on in our hearts? Why aren't we more evangelistic? Even in our prayer life. When's the last time you prayed for a soul? I mean genuinely prayed. Not just for your son or your daughter, your mother or your father. When's the last time you prayed for your enemy? When's the last time you prayed for someone who wants nothing to do with Christ? When's the last time you really genuinely, heartfelt, prayed for someone else to be saved? Now, that's an honest answer, so let's think about that. Bless you, brother. And I mean that. Think about that. What's wrong? Chris is not alone. And the others have gone up and down. There's probably people here who say, Brian, I used to pray like that, but guess what? I don't pray like that anymore. Yesterday, somebody accepted the Lord. He shared with that before. But here's the point. What's going on? You see that crowd that was shouting Hosanna? Then was shouting crucify him? That fickle crowd? The ho- you think we're any better? Week in and week out, we come and hear about Jesus Christ. We go to our Bible studies, we read and we pray and God blesses our life. Doesn't he bless our life? You're a Christian, you're in America, you got a blessed life. Uh, have you shed any blood for Christ yet? You're a blessed man. Has anybody persecuted you? Oh, they yelled at you. Tough, I'm sorry. You're a blessed man. You're a blessed woman. Why is it though? What is it? What are we missing? That's a serious inquiry. What Chris just said. And I think he speaks for a lot of us to a certain degree. I I won't address that now. You know why? We address it every week. We grow as Christians. We pray. And we knock on the Father's door. And we say, Father, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. The reason for most Christians not caring, or being indifferent is a better word, because there's no prayer life. Most people's prayer life is, God bless me. End of the story. Then there's always this one in the crowd, verse 39. And some of the Pharisees and the multitude said to teach and rebuke your disciples. There will always be people in our life who will try to stop us from praising God. I'll tell you that right now. You ready? Listen, look at me. You're going to that church again? You're reading the Bible again? you're born again you believe in hell you believe in being saved aren't we all just going aren't we all God's children no we're not we're not the human race is not they're God's creation but they're not God's children you got to be born of the Holy Spirit you have to be saved from your sins you have to be a bona fide water baptized filled with the Holy Spirit following Jesus Christ to know if you're born again and you're God's children please brothers don't just love in word 
but it's word and deed. You know you're doing something right when people are trying to turn you away from Jesus, trying to turn you away from the Bible, trying to turn you away from salvation, trying to water down and give you a low view of Jesus. You have to take a step back and say, ah, I just heard that in a sermon. Tell your disciples to stop praising. Close up. I can go on and I can go on. But Father God, I hear the cry in the room today. I hear Brother Chris, he said that, and it meant a lot to all of us, Father. Father, help us. Help us, Father God. Help us to to climb out of the, the, the indifferent comfortability of the American church, Father, that has turned you into a genie in a bottle. They don't even know there's a kingdom to come. Help us, Father God. Help Chris. Help me. Help this church, God. God, fill us with your Holy Spirit. God, come and do a work of grace in our hearts. Come and do something wonderful in the ministry, Father God. Come and back up the preaching of the word, Father God. Come and do something great and grand, Father God. Humble us, oh God. Humble us so that we're disciples of Jesus Christ and not disciples of ourselves. Help us, God. Let's take a moment. If anything in this sermon touched your heart and convicted you today, or maybe what Chris said, Ask God to change you. Only He can. Ask Him now. Ask for forgiveness. Ask Him to remove the indifference. Become less in your own life. Listen to me. Listen. Become less in your own life so Christ can become more. Your time is not yours, your dreams are not yours. Your hope and future are not yours. Your money's not yours. Your friendships are not yours. Your material possessions, nothing belongs to us. It all belongs to Jesus. And if you're looking for the easier, softer way, there's no such thing. We must deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow Him. Father, help us. Would you stand with me in prayer? I'm going to ask Pastor John to come up and lead us in prayer and to really ask God to do something. Let not these words just fall on empty ears, but let God do something in our heart. I'm going to ask you all, I know there's something going on. You're asking God to do something wonderful in you. let's, Let's stand in prayer and agree with each other. Pastor John. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God. We thank you, God. We love you, Lord. Thank you for this message, Lord. I I know it speaks to all of our hearts, God. And God, I'm sure every one of us here, every one of us have this confession to say, God, I have not cared about souls the way you've cared about souls. I have not wept the way you have wept. God, I, I have not been as close to you as I should have been. Maybe if I has 
been as close to you as I could have been, I would have wept. I would have shared Christ. And God, we're confessing to you right now that we weren't as close to you as we should have been. And because of that, God, we haven't been concerned about a lost soul. Help us, God, to be concerned about a soul that is on its way, his or her way, to eternal hell. God, help us. God, in your infinite grace, you sent someone to us who cared about us. And shared Christ with us. And told us about the impending judgment. And now do we refuse to share Christ with someone because we're embarrassed? Help us, God. Help me. Help us, God. Help us to share Christ. Let it be a sweet aroma into your nostrils, God, as we share Christ. And we weep over lost souls. Wake us up in the middle of the night, God. To pray for someone that we know has been rejecting Christ. Remind us during our lunch hour to pray for a soul that has rejected Christ. That we know that needs Christ. Help us, God. Help us not to become indifferent and insensitive. Help Sonship Ministries to be a ministry that has the heart, the beating heart of Jesus Christ. We love you, Lord. And we thank you. And God, we know that when we confess these sins to you, you hear us. And that pleases your heart. Psalm 51 tells us that. A broken and a contrite heart you will not despise, Lord. Help us not to walk out here today. And I, God, I, I speak for all of us, myself included. Help us to walk out of here today and not be indifferent. Help us to walk out of here today and not forget what we've heard. Otherwise, God, we are like, as James says, a man or a woman who looks into a mirror and forgets what he or she looks like. Burn this into our hearts. Burn it into our hearts, God. In Christ's name.